But for everybody in the mortgage business who has had a great two years, and maybe they've layered on expenses based on that great success, mm -hmm. my advice is don't go on the hopium pipe. Stay off the hopium <laughs> pipe, okay? The hopium like, uh, pipe. Stay away from hopium. Oh, my gosh. Okay. When you talk to some realtors, some of them say, no, 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 just wait for September. It's all going to go back just the way it was. It's, 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 it's just a bad summer. Don't worry about it. It's a correction. It's a correction. Okay. But it's yeah. all going to come back in the fall. Don't get on the hopium pipe. It's not going to come back in the fall. Like, it's going to come back. It's going to be better because this was the worst July in the history of the real estate business in Ontario. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ron Butler. Ron is one of my favorite guests to have on. He has a strong opinion on things, but it's well-informed and a very entertaining guy to chat with and just a wealth of knowledge. We talk about a whole bunch of things. We talk about rising interest rates. We talk about the fact that the number of transactions in the GTA is the lowest it's been in 26 years. We talk about fintech and sort of the craziness that's going on with fintech and some of the money that these companies have raised. Ron shares his thoughts on that. And we jump into why mortgage brokers need to stay off the hopium pipe and actually really buckle down and get focused in this next, you know, coming months in order to come out of this stronger and better than they were before. I love having these conversations with Ron. Hopefully you find it as valuable as I did. Also on the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about what strategies for using your CRM in a rising rate environment. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers and brokers. It's very easy to use as the client's filling out the app. It's got something called Smart Docs. It's auto-magically figuring out what documents that client's going to need. When you get the file and you want to look at it, it's connected to the lender spotlight, which lets you search all the rates and guidelines to figure out where that loan should go. And then finally, when you get ready to hit submit, it pulls the key data from the application called Smart Submission Notes that lets you pass on the key stuff to the underwriter. And if you guys have ever seen some of the tech that blenders use on their side, some of it's a bit outdated. Having good notes is very helpful for getting approvals, for making your loans go through smoother. Finmo's make that very, very easy. Check them out at lendescom slash Finmo to get a free trial. Check out this conversation I have with Ron. Hey, Scott. Good to see you. Good to see you, man. You can ping me after, too. We can chat after. But sure. um, So, hey, guys. Thanks for coming to Island Be Live. Today, I got Ron Butler on. And if you guys have questions that you want to ask, write them in the Facebook group. I got somebody monitoring that. Or if you're on the Zoom call, you can write that in the Q&A in the chat. We'll make sure we cover some of those things. First off, how are you doing, man? How's business? How's life? Before we get into jumping into what's happening in the mortgage industry? Business is just effed up. We know this. I mean, it is just <laughs> effed up. Okay. Uh, there's no nice way of putting it. Otherwise, life is great. I mean, you know, I'm still alive. Yep. I'm a 350 pound, 65 year old man. So every day is a blessing. Okay. Right. You look like you lost weight to me since the last time I saw you. Have you, or am I just a, yeah, a little bit still wildly fat? Okay. But right. I've lost a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you look like it to me. So let's talk about the interest rates. Do you have any ideas of like what your predictions are or expectations of rates? I'm curious with what we've seen so far and what's coming sure. down the pipe. Prime goes up again on September 7th. That's as sure as God made little green apples. It's going to happen. And it's either going to be 50, 75 beeps. I doubt it will be another 1% killer, but it'll be between 50 and 75 basis points. It'll go up. And so do you think that they're going to overcorrect? So I've been reading some stuff about, you know, some predictions of recession in the US and the new year. Do you think that they're going to like have to stall this at some point or potentially recorrect? They're going to have to pause. They're going to have to pause someday because all the indicators are that there will be some sort of recession in Canada and the United States in 2023. All of the indicators are strong. They're all high. And once the recession hits, this is the crazy part about the Bank of Canada. The fight inflation, which they sort of made by creating jillions of dollars and doing you know, QE longer than they should have for having ultra, ultra low prime rate for longer than they should have. They certainly helped this inflation occur. Yeah. And now they've got to say, oh, well, we're going to destroy demand because that's what high interest rates is. It's a demand destruction so that people don't have enough money to go out and buy consumer things because they're paying too much on their car lease. Their mortgage increased, you name it. Hell, by now, everybody has gotten these credit card notices that say we're raising the rates on your credit cards and we're raising the rates on your personal lines of credit. Like we're raising every rate that could possibly be raised. 
And mm-hmm. that's demand destruction. People stop buying consumer goods, people hoard money. It has the effect of slowing down inflation. So it will work. But yeah, it's going to probably damage the economy. There's a lot of people thinking the same way as you're reading. And the harm to the economy results in a recession. And when the recession happens, rates go down. Right. And so how do you advise the client today, given that we're sitting in this like, you know, temporarily at least rising rate environment where we're probably going to overcorrect? It's kind of like I always say, it's like a break in a gas pedal. So they're going to have to correct it. How do you tell somebody what kind of rate? Is it term selection now more critical than ever? What do you think? We talk short-term fixed all the time. One year and two-year fixed is an option. Uh, it's right. not a great option. And, so, and not very high variable, too. right? Well, static payment variable. Now, that's not many companies right. offer static yeah. payment variable. But if you can grab the static payment variable before September 7th, if you can close, then that might not be a bad option, provided the customer understands that within the framework of the mortgage, his interest rate is still going up. He's paying off less principal. But they just may want it. I mean, you got to offer options. Right. How do you explain it? So if I'm a customer and I'm saying, I think I like the idea of a variable run, how would you explain that to me? Like, tell me like I'm 10 so that I, because I don't think everybody does, but I'm curious how you would explain it. You have two choices. You have a variable rate when prime goes up or down, your payment changes with it. There's no restriction on it. Your payment can go up a ton. If you choose the kind of variable that has a static payment that for the most cases, that payment will not change during the term of the mortgage. You must understand that when you start off, you may be paying a $2,000 payment. $1,500 is going to principal. $500 is going to interest. If prime rate goes up enough, pretty soon a dollar is going to principal and $1,999 is going to interest. That may not be a good thing for you because you will come out of it seeing that you haven't paid off a dime of your mortgage or you've paid off $300 in five years, that might be the opposite of what you want. So that's the simplistic, somewhat scary way I explain it because it's very important people are not fooled by the outcome. Mm-hmm. You have to have a real open discussion about it. Right. And what about house prices? So do you think that prices are going to continue to come down? Do you think they're going to come down? And then like, what is your sort of expectation on house prices? Well, there's short-term and long-term. Um, Canada has a essentially unbreakable policy from the federal government that we will bring in 430,000 new citizens every year. Of the G7 countries, that's the highest that exists. So of modern industrial countries, that's the highest level of immigration that exists. And it's a great thing. It's a great thing for Canada. It shouldn't stop. But what it does mean is there's always pressure on housing supply. It just can't be escaped. We just bring in so many new adults every year. We're not bringing in babies who live in a house. We're bringing in adults who want to form a family and own their own home. So there's going to be pressure. But in the short term, the math of mortgages makes it hard for a lot of people to buy. It makes it even hard for investors to buy because they look at, even though rents have climbed in many big cities, rents are going straight up. But still, these rates are such that it's very hard to have positive cash flow on a rental property. Now, all that being said, rates continue to go up. You know, fixed rates have come off a tiny bit. Five-year fixes come off a tiny bit in the last three or four weeks, but not in any huge, meaningful way. So what you have to assume is with this math working against affordability in interest rates and the fact that we had this incredible run-up of prices in some major cities and outskirts. And, you know, if you look at Vancouver, for instance, the prices in Hope went up. The prices in Chilliwack went up. I mean, like way up, like 40, 50% up over the course of two years. These are unsustainable price increases, and those areas will have the biggest price drops. Right. But everywhere because in Canada, is, we'll right. see prices grinding down for the next four or five or six months. Right. And you think that some of those secondary markets, so people were basically cashing out. From, this is what I perceive was kind of going on. Maybe you can tell me what you think. But they were cashing out a property in Vancouver, and they're playing with house money which means if they have to overpay for a property in Chilliwack with more space or somewhere else, that's okay. But those buyers may not be as many because they're not cashing out as well in their current market. Would that be part of it? Well, in our area, like if you think about Ontario in uh, these outside communities like Guelph and East Willembury and Uxbridge and all the really far exurb communities, they were actually mainly first-time buyers. There was a lot of investors. There were situations where the prices were just driven up by not sensible levels of demand, just not sensible. But they weren't necessarily people cashing in and moving out. Some of the people were just 
first-time buyers. I mean, we saw it. People were buying in wealth for a million dollars where that house would cost $600,000 just two years prior. So right. that's a first-time buyer. Right. Okay. So let me ask you this. So what do you watch? So like, you know how you got your dash light on your car? What is it that you pay attention to? What are the kind of trends or is there certain numbers? Or I'm curious, what is it that goes on in your head to figure out kind of as you're trying to strategically, you know, maneuver your company? Well, I hate to say it, but I spend an incredible amount of time on Twitter and Twitter <laughs> in a developed way is the best news source that exists. Like a lot of people hate it because it's not like Facebook. Everybody is mean on Twitter. Like mean is the milieu of Twitter. You can but, handle it though, Ron. You're like, let's go, baby. I'm, you know, well, I, you know, it's like that old years ago when I was young, there was this famous black light. You probably probably don't even know what I'm talking about. There was like a picture, like the Matador picture. It was sort of on felt and stuff. Really popular back in the 80s. And the number one most sold picture in this black felt was this guy who's like this vicious looking caveman with a big club. And the caption was, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I am the meanest son of a bitch in the valley. Okay. So <laughs> that's how I view Twitter. I am the meanest son of a bitch in the valley. So <laughs> at the end of the day, here is what it is. It is the most vital news source you could imagine. Like if you just curate your feed and select the right people to follow, there's all kinds of brilliant minds about economic information that's just cutting edge and truthful and not just filler provided by banks. Not against the banks, but I mean, let's face it, they have an agenda. They have things they feel mm -hmm. they can't say and they can't say. But you can get some renegade economists that talk about, hey, this is never going to work or this is printing money that's always going to be bad. And there's a lot of different things that you could gather from Twitter, sources of information that I've selected over the years, and you can learn a lot. Like you could learn that core inflation didn't go down. There was this last inflation print we had last week, and it looked like inflation had come off a little. But in reality, core inflation hadn't come down at all. And that's what the Bank of Canada looks at. You can even just follow the Bank of Canada's tweets. I mean, right after the theoretically good report about inflation not accelerating, the Bank of Canada immediately tweeted out that they still feel they have to take a very aggressive stance on rates. So you can absorb some of your own news, learn some of your own things, and synthesize it in your mind as to say, well, if the Bank of Canada is giving bad news, they're probably not lying. They're probably lying if they give good news, but they're probably not lying if they give bad news. Right, right. That makes sense. And so everybody's going to go get a Twitter account now. You and Rob Campbell, he's on Twitter, I think, a bunch where he was. Okay, so I think Elon Musk called Twitter like the Tenton Square, right? Like it's like a, where people go and share ideas and you're going to yeah. get good ideas and bad ideas and you're going right. to get people argue. But yeah, and if you know how to filter that a little bit and who to pay attention to, you can pick up on some trends. I've heard that when things typically are popular on Facebook, they're on Twitter like two, three weeks ago. Twitter is kind of like the first place that things get picked up on and then they get Look, dispersed. It's just true. Else. Like every single news item appears on Twitter first. You know, it doesn't matter if it's celebrity, death, uh, you know, a sports scandal. It's just, it's always on Twitter first. That's because Twitter is thirsty for information. Now, again, it's not for everybody. Some people, you know, might make a little innocuous comment on a, oh, I'm not sure if that's true. And then 35 people will say, you are a witless bitch and you need to get off Twitter. Okay. And you just have to. <laughs> and then you go cry. You cry and then you go cry. And it's just so shocked. But, you know, in some cases, just never comment. Just read the stuff. Think about it. Is it meaningful? And is it useful? And if people are being complete dicks, just block them. And if people seem like they've got useful information, just click follow. You're done. Right. Okay, let's talk about, you probably saw that Rocket Mortgage, they announced they're in Canada, they've been here for a while, but it was sort of a, and then Pine recently, who's another entrant in the, maybe talk about them, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on these companies coming in, basically, like, in terms of timing wise, especially Pine, maybe, I don't know the guys over there, but yeah, the timing is like, wow, we're going into a slower market, and now you're going to be trying to compete after a smaller pool of, you know, potential borrowers, what are your thoughts on that? This is a great question and a great topic. And so what mortgage agents should realize is there's been in the last two years, a tremendous amount of interest in the concept of consumer direct mortgage. And the way that people have tried to develop the thought is that it's FinTech. You know, if you use this word FinTech, you can go and visit with people all over North America and say, hey, this is a FinTech breakthrough you need to give me $27 million and I'm going to turn this into the next Uber, okay? Which is exactly what happened to Pine, okay? This guy right. at Pine, who I don't think he knew how to spell mortgage before he got going in it, he develops a, <laughs> sort of the same kind of application that everybody else uses. 
same kind of application that True North or Canwise or Rate Hub or Nest, the same application everybody else uses, but he finds some investor, venture capital investor, who he can talk into the idea that I'm going to revolutionize the mortgage business. I'll just leave out the part that's the same application that everybody else uses. Okay, but you haven't seen the applications and you don't even live in Canada. So I'm going to tell you it's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. So then somehow somebody gives him $27 million and all of a sudden he's advertising like crazy, doing essentially no business. Now let's go back to Rocket. Okay. Rocket was Edison. It was here. First of all, came here nearly three and a half years ago, came to Canada just as sort of a hub for Canadian employees helping out with the tech at Rocket. Rocket is the biggest mortgage company on earth. Okay. That's an important thing to understand. They are the number one originator of mortgages in the United States. However, all that being said, the biggest in the United States, because it's so big, is only 8%. They still are the biggest originator of mortgages in the world. That said, well, you can't really count what goes on in China because some of it just doesn't make any sense. Okay. Like if we right. tried to understand how the Chinese mortgage business worked, we'd all just go and get drunk after an hour of listening to it. Right, right. You'd be like, so it's not okay. It just it doesn't apply okay. to us. Okay. So Rocket is big. Rocket is great. Rocket is very good at what they're doing in the United States. They do a great job. But mortgages are different in the United States. You know this. You talk to a lot of people in the U.S. and you understand that their business is totally different. Rates tend to be higher. Commissions tend to be bigger. And when the refinance boom is on, it's on. And it just grows like mushrooms. It just goes huge. And then when the refi boom is off, refinance boom is off, it just fades. It just changes dramatically. So Brock has been in Canada. Edison, Edison didn't do a whole hell of a lot of business. But, you know, now they've got the rocket name behind them. It always puzzled me why they just didn't come out as rocket from day one, because rocket is for some people who get U.S. advertising, see U.S. advertising, rocket's something that they've heard about. So I never understood right. why it was Edison. Let me just get to the crux of this. We've got a lot of different venture capital organizations and other companies and even somebody, very smart people like at Quest Trade. Quest Trade is now offering Quest mortgages. The guys at Quest are very, very smart people, very able, very good operators. But everybody wanted to get in the mortgage business because there was a determination that you could try to bypass the banks. Weird, because the banks all actually do 80% of all the mortgages in this country, either it's yeah. indirectly through capital markets divisions or directly through their own distribution. But when investors fall in love with the idea of, hey, we can disrupt the banks. If we can disrupt the banks, there's huge, huge potential to make money. Okay. So a lot of companies have done this. The bad news for the mortgage broker is there's enormous dollars being spent on advertising of what is essentially a mortgage brokerage. It is a mortgage brokerage, which didn't exist five years ago. Nothing like it. Absolutely. This spring, this spring market, there was more money spent on mortgage brokerage advertising by these companies, often digitally, but also old media as well. It was Nesto was on the hockey playoffs. There were Nesto commercials. There were some right. Quest Trade commercials, Quest Mortgage commercials. So what I'm saying is that there was more money spent in the last two quarters on mortgage advertising in Canada than probably in the previous five years. And they do gain a certain amount of traction, but they don't gain a lot because it's something you've talked about very beneficial way in your podcasts a lot, Scott. You've talked about how if you are not adequately trained, good enough on the phone and have a correct subset of knowledge to deal with the calls, to deal with the customer, all the advertising in the world doesn't pay off. It just right, doesn't. Right. If yeah. you butcher that discovery call, what happens? Yeah. The customer you're, just bur you're burning money. Else. You're burning money you're both burning ways. burning money. Okay. I was told that one of these companies for a funded mortgage, to get a mortgage funded from their digital lead acquisition systems. They're spending $2,800 to get a funded mortgage. By the way, that's not the labor of doing it. That's not the overheads. That's not the rent. That's not the nothing. That's just the lead generation cost. Lead acquisition, yeah. Lead acquisition, $2,800 a mortgage, okay? That doesn't really work well. You know what I think? So what I think people get hopped up on is that you look at a company like Uber that comes in and disrupts the you know, the taxi industry, and they did lose money, they burned money, they raised money, and they would crush their competition by offering pricing and rates and lose money on transactions to knock their competition out of business, and then, you know, own the market. That is very difficult to do in the mortgage space, because frankly, driving a car is not that difficult. You know, as long as I'm relatively safe, I can get you from A to B, 
closing a mortgage transaction is a significantly more technical thing to do. And you're not going to knock out the mortgage broker who's really good that easily. And so people, they're taking a framework of, hey, we can disrupt this industry. We've got to buy the market. Who cares? We can lose money for three years. As long as investors keep pumping money into us, we'll own the market. But the problem is, as you just touched on, if you don't have the technical chops, you're going to have a heck of a time. Correct. And um, and ultimately, all these companies that call themselves fintechs are really just call centers that have whatever their wrapping is in the front. And at the end of the day, somebody still has to talk to somebody on the phone. They're not just clicking a button and getting a mortgage. That's just not happening. Like the percentage of people who go to, hey, I want a $500,000 mortgage. I don't need to talk to anybody about that. Forget about it. They're going to be like, no, 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 no. Am I making the right choice? Is this what I need? Like there's no chance. So it's ultimately a call center wrapped in a great marketing called fintech. So it's going to be, but you're right. If you're like, I mean, your business, because you're in the ad business, I mean, you've got all the very established sales team. And so you'll be able to make money from this, but it's got to make the cost of ads go up because everybody's competing for, have you seen that? Have you seen the cost of ads going up or what have you now, noticed? We, in that you know, what we've done is we've managed it. It's really weird. Some of the people who these companies are competing for also sell leads to us, but they sell leads to us for half the price because they say, you guys, we never get any complaints and you guys advertise the best rates and that attracts more eyeballs to our site. So there's a bunch of little reasoning that goes on in the background, but you hit the point dead on. The only thing you need to do is to be successful at Uber, which by the way, has always lost money to this day, never made a penny of profit, may never. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the only thing you need to do at Uber is a Waze app on your phone and a driver's license. I mean, this is not the same as funding mortgages. There's no relationship. So you yep. get, you gave a great comparison, but yeah, no, what cost? I'm just sort of suggesting to the mortgage brokers out there that there's just going to be this tremendous knowledge in the public due to all this advertising that there is direct to consumer and they're going to check it more. They may fail at it, but in many cases, it leads to more rate comparison shopping. Right. The consumer is going to be slightly more informed because it's going to be talked about more. Yeah. It's kind of like, remember back when the credit subprime crisis, I don't know how many years ago this was, but when everybody was advertising, you know, monitor your credit bureau, get your credit score. Like that was everywhere. All the football games, everybody yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. actually, I tried a business with a buddy on that. I ended up losing a bunch of money. I showed my wife and we had the spreadsheet that looked like a hockey stick. She's like, this business makes no sense to me. I don't know how you're going to make money. I'm like, no, no, don't, but trust me, we got this. And it was a freaking gong show. But anyway, we had seen there was a trend of like, and they were spending gobs of money. Some, a few of them survived. A lot of them didn't, or they got acquired and swallowed up. Let's chat about teachers' pension plans. So you probably know this. A lot of people may not, but they were getting into the mortgage game. Or did you know about that they were intending to have their own origination? They had bought Intel mortgage and then recently. Yeah, they, 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 they it. tried it. They tried it and they abandoned this. They, they were it. like, yeah, yeah, this this business makes no sense. We're never going to make any money. And they sold it. So and teachers' pension plan, many of you may or may not know, but they own a lot of the rate aggregation sites that sell Most, leads. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. So which ones do they own? So like you may know Rates. better than me, so. lowest rate and rate supermarket and rates buy. They own four. And so I'm curious because I don't know the guys at teachers' pension plan either. I'd love to chat with somebody from there, but like. How does a teacher's pension plan, which I think of teachers, they're not using, you know, how are they into this type of business and like even owning that type of thing as a investment? Like, I'm curious. Well, you know, the people at the teacher's pension plan can fall for the bullshit of fintech as easily as anybody else, right? I mean, and by the way, these sites work really, really well for car and home insurance. They work fantastic. I mean, they almost dominate that market, but that's a very, very different market. You see, when you're in the home and auto business, the home and auto insurance business, you get paid a renewal every year and the client is very sticky. So there's a very- It's a, it's a hassle that you don't even bother changing. It's all the same, right? There you go. So if you can acquire a new car and home client, I think there's about a seven-year life to that client. You get paid every single year. So you can make an economic case for spending money on lead gen cost. Lead acquisition costs can make sense. What they found out in the mortgage business is yeah, we can find some mortgage brokers who are willing to pay for the leads, but that's the only place we make any profit at all, and barely. You know, Rob McCluster founded Telemortgage. He did a great job. They were an effective competitor. But when he left, it was just a series of people who didn't know mortgages from a hole in the ground were running a telemortgage. And in the end, it just failed. I mean, they could not convert leads. They actually, in the record year of 2021, the all-time record year for mortgages in Canada, they actually had reduced business from previous years. So... You know, teachers are very smart people. The guys who run that, you know, they're smart. They just said, look, you guys have had a year, two years to try to get this going. You went through the best year in the mortgage history. You seem to be making a little money on the leads, but this thing is not working on the mortgage brokerage thing. So 
we're signing off. You go off and sell it. And Dan Eisner at True North bought it. Right. And so basically what they were trying to do is go into the vertical because you think if you're in the lead yeah. business and people yeah. are buying leads from you, you're like, well, if we can do the mortgage transaction, we can make more money. Not as easy as it sounds on paper. It's extremely complex and it's easy to burn money. And so I'm sure that's was part of it. And they looked at the market shifting, they're probably less staff. Like I'm sure, you know, selling leads is probably less expensive than trying to run a less complicated. Shop. It's a lot less complicated. Yeah. It's far less complicated. Yeah. So yeah, the bottom line is there's a couple of great players in the direct consumer business. There's True North and Rate Hub, you know, two people, two individuals there is Dan Eisner and James Laird, and Alyssa is also involved at Rate Hub. They are the best people. They are just the best people doing this job. They're far better than me. And they have had enormous success to the point where Rate Hub was sold in the last couple of weeks for an enormous premium. I mean, those guys... Who bought them? Just, you know? They just got a fantastic result from decades, just very hard work, very smart work, and they got a great reward. I congratulate them and I'm very happy for them. But the bottom line is why they did so well is they were great business people. They were great mortgage brokers. They were great operators. And so is Dan Eisner. Great business people, great operators, meticulous, careful, very worried about having the right people answering the phone, saying the right thing. All the little tiny things that actually you coach every day in your business, Scott, and you talk about on your podcast. This is a minute game of technical details and the right mental attitude and also how to handle people well on the phone and how to give good information and command their respect. And that's something that True North and Rate Hub have done a fantastic so, job. So, okay, who bought Rate Hub? Do you know? Or is that not? Yeah, I do know. It's not a secret. It's a Montreal company, sorry, a Quebec company that they just accumulate fintech businesses. They just have a whole variety of fintech businesses they accumulate. What's the name of it? I think it's Nova something. I just Okay, yeah, actually, I've heard of them before. All right. So yeah. I want to ask you about, I'm just kind of going all over the place, things that are interesting to me. I always want to get Ron Butler's thoughts. What do you think about the reverse mortgage market right now, given, you know, people on fixed incomes, cost of living's going up. When I talk to some of the folks at these reverse mortgage companies, they seem to be putting up record numbers. Do you yeah, see it's that? Demographics, as a you know, demographics yeah. really support what's going on. The boomers have, in many cases, had massive home equity. I mean, you buy a house for... 249,000 and then 20 years later it's worth 2 million. I mean, reverse mortgages make a lot of sense. They're greatly tax advantaged. You're getting money, but you it's not attracting any tax because it's technically borrowing. And you know, if the client can live with the fact that if you just understand it's a tool, it's a tool that's designed for certain people in certain situations, it's a great tool. You just have to forget about the high interest rate and understand it's designed to accomplish something in your life. But the demographics are the key. You know, when you have a lot of people in their 60s and 70s who have massive equity in their homes and they want to find ways to tap that and stay in their homes. That's the two key factors. And that's why it's got a lot of upside. It'll continue to have good upside. Do you guys do much in reverse mortgages? Yeah, we do. It's not our focus. We still do like 10 of them a year by accident. Right, just by accident. But it's not an area that you focus on. No. Let me ask you, so who's your guys' ideal customer? So I'm curious about like, if you could be like, this is the type, if I see a pattern here, this is our customer that we typically see. Sure. It's a perfect A client who has all their ratios in line. And uh, that's what we like to deal with because we simply like to offer them the very best rate and move them briskly through to funding. And, you know, as more of those people we can find, the better. Now, the advantage we have is, is that it sounds crazy, but I actually started in the B business. Like I started doing like second mortgages and, you know, difficult, hard to place first mortgages. I did all that stuff in the very mm -hmm. beginning. I switched obviously in later in my life, but when somebody doesn't fit this ideal borrower, this ideal client, we are very, very, very good at swapping them into something else. Like we can get them a B mortgage or a private mortgage. We do whatever we need to do. So that's helped our organization in the past. Some of these other organizations are not set up to do that. Some of these other companies that we've been talking about and they just push through A, but you guys, if there is no opportunity on the A side, there's still a opportunity to, yeah, you can still make money and serve that client. 100%. I mean, yes. I mean, I'm sure the people at Pine, they might think home trust is somebody you trust for a home inspection. I mean, I don't think they even know how B business works or alternative business works. So, you know, I keep beating up on those guys, but I just have to, because it's literally ridiculous. Like somebody who's never funded a mortgage in their life doesn't hire anybody who understands how to fund a mortgage. It's $27 million pretending to be a fintech organization and has a magical application that's going to 
they bring in tons of business. And their application is identical to everyone else's. So at a certain point, you have to say, this doesn't make sense. You know, just, just right, right. It's just, it's sold on the hype kind of thing. And sold on the so hype. let's talk about B business. So I've noticed some of the B lenders. There's a couple of things that I see. One, I see people that like the mix and stuff, the pricing was ridiculous, like so low. It was like better than so prime pricing so in 2006, 2007. Yeah. So yeah. these people are going to be renewing. A lot of these terms are short term. They're going to be renewing at way like double interest rates for sure. What are your thoughts on that? That's my first question. My second question is, I've also noticed that some of these, they've kind of run out of money. You're not a run out of money, but they're having trouble with funding. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the borrower that's going to face payment shock. And then do you think we're going to have a liquidity crisis in the B space? For the people who have uh, institutional B lending and are receiving their renewals, the only appropriate word is tragedy. That literally is the only appropriate word. I mean, there was a long period of time just based on, you're exactly right, where the rates were great. It was under 3%. And now all of a sudden it's 6.49. I'm seeing some 7.19s coming out. And it's just tragedy. I mean, some of these payments are completely unmanageable. People have to sell their homes. There's going to be some problems for sure. And that's tragic. I don't even know any great solutions because if you don't qualify in the stress test with B, I have no clue how you're going to qualify into the stress test with A. Like it's never going to happen. We don't have any good remedies for you. All we can do is try to help as best we can and offer some comfort, but I don't have good answers. I don't know who does. And then we move on to the mix. Yeah, some of them are fine, but some of them are, some of them specialized in things that are problematic, like construction and land development. I'll give you an idea. The biggest bank who funds raw land for big developers in other words, you know, big developer says, okay, I'm going to buy this 160 acres outside of Guelph and this, eventually we're going to get it rezoned and we're going to build houses this is our plan. There was one bank who did more of that than anybody else in Canada. Ah, oh, hell, I don't give a shit. I'll say who it is. It's CIBC. So they were the number one provider of that mortgage. Last month, they announced that they were no longer providing them on a temporary basis. They were no longer going to do it at all. There was not going to be $1 mortgaged on raw land. And uh, that happened. So it's indicative of the concern in the marketplace. Like what is going to happen? If rates stay high for a long time for the consumer, how are they going to buy houses in new developments? The single family home and new development in the Fraser Valley or in, in the exurbs around Toronto are over a million dollars for single family homes. So with these rates, how does the average person buy a lot of those homes and complete those mortgages? I mean, eventually it'll straighten itself out but right now it's a concern. It's a legitimate concern. And that's why some of these lenders, their investors, in many cases, are smart people. And their investors in these mix have said, look, I'm not going to give any more new money. No more new money. I'm just going to pause and watch this. I mean, I can't give you any more new money. Or some of them are going to say, you know what? I'm going to give you my notice right now about redemption, about redeeming my money out of your mix. I'm going to give that notice right now. And so in three months, you got to give me my money back. Okay. So those things are happening just because Smart, sophisticated people are a little nervous. People who have millions of dollars put in mix are a little nervous. Finally, some of these mix and other lenders are operating with bank lines of credit. In other words, they have a certain portion of their funding comes from a bank line of credit. Not all of it, not even close to all of it, but a minority of it, but still a portion of it. Mm -hmm. Well, the prime rate's doubled. It's doubled. It's doubling. By the time we were finished September 7th, the prime rate will have doubled. And you can't offer the same rates. And you also may have your banks who are supplying you with these lines of credit coming to you and saying, I think we're just going to cut back a bit. We're just going to cut back a little bit just to be careful. Okay? We're going to change our agreement. Right. So all of these forces put pressure on these companies. So, yeah, I know that uh, some of them, they have these big warehouse line of credits that they use to juice the returns. So they have investor money. The investor expects a bigger return. But if they can get a line of credit for part of the loans that they put out, they can make the returns better. And it makes sense to me, like if you think about it, if I'm an investor and I see that they've been lending money out at three and a half percent plus my yield is whatever, and I see my prime rate has gone up, I'm like, I don't want my money back in there until I see a higher yield on my money. Correct. So either I take my money out or totally right. just gonna, yeah, they're going to force rates up. And then these people that have these products, a lot of them are just going to be carnage. And the problem that I see is that they're going to point fingers at the broker community saying, look what they did to me not thinking that I solved your problem a year ago, but the broker didn't control the rates. But when they <laughs> see their renewal at seven and a half percent, when they were at three and a half or three, there's going to be you know people freaking out. And I think brokers need to get in front of this early and be having conversations with their clients and say, hey, look, 
just so you know, these rates are going to affect you and you need to have a plan for when this comes up. Because if you can't afford this, start thinking about what your options are. But also consider the idea that some of these organizations have mortgages out there at low rates, like they haven't matured yet. They still got another six or eight months to run. And yet their lines of credit costs have doubled. So, right. you know, there's a financial squeeze going on there as well. That's another concern. Right. And that's why actually, regrettably, in the mixed space, in the private lending space, we're going to have a ton of people who are not offered renewals. They're told that we're not offering a renewal. You've got to pay us off on the maturity date. And that's going to cause another whole series of issues to occur. Right. I saw that happen. Remember in uh, the 2008, 2009, like Abode, some of these other companies were like, nope, we're not renewing you. A GE money. And well, uh, all the yeah. companies you're listing actually just went out in business. So yeah. <laughs> they were like, we're not taking, we're not doing any of these. And so it was a gong show. So I see that coming six to eight months from now. Um, somebody it'll, asked, it'll, be, it'll be yeah. January, February, January, February. You'll see it. So yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up the last couple of questions. Why do you think major banks don't offer reverse mortgages? Is it something in the Bank Act, or is it just invest in it? No, no, no. They, they, they can offer reverse mortgages. They've all made a policy decision not to, because I've talked to some of them about it, the RESL bosses about it, and they've said, "Nah, it's just a top of the bank policy decision that we don't want to get involved in the case of you know at the end of a." 10-year reverse mortgage we've got like three kids putting on twitter that we robbed them of their inheritance okay that the parents didn't understand what they were getting and that you know they just feel it's a reputational risk issue that so far they just don't want to be involved with but i suspect they actually fund some of these companies in the back end they're making money absolutely they can't be the fall guy they're not going to take the hit it's going to be insert company whatever we're going to make the money we're going to make the money but we're not going to take the reputational risk yes that's right so they fund these things but they actually don't want their label on it is there anything i should have asked you this has been a fun conversation i always love chatting with you ron at your wealth of knowledge and opinion which i most people don't give opinions is there anything you think i should have asked or that you kind of noticed that would be you know should mortgage brokers be worried about their income yeah okay what do you think Okay, so I know this is sort of a PG podcast, but F yes, F yes, you should worry about your income, okay? You know, you as an individual, if you did 24 deals last year, you could probably still do 24 deals next year, this rough year that's coming up, next 12 months, you could probably do 24 deals because if you're willing to redouble your efforts, if you have the discipline, the talent, if you're going to play game of phones twice as hard, if you're going to do all these things, but for brokerages or big direct-to-consumer operations like you know, that exists or for banks. Banks know they're going to originate a lot fewer mortgages next year. I talked to some lenders about their pipelines for the coming quarters, and I refer to it as the desert. It's the desert. It's the valley of death. It's like pipeline has just drastically fallen off. So individuals who can outwork the problem, if you only need to do 20 deals or 25 deals, But for everybody in the mortgage business who has had a great two years, and maybe they've layered on expenses based on that great success, Mm -hmm. my advice is don't go on the hopium pipe. Stay off the hopium (laughs) pipe, okay? The hopium uh, pipe. Stay away from hopium. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. When you talk to some realtors, some of them say, no, no, no. Just wait for September. It's all going to go back just the way it was. It's, 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 it's just a bad summer. Don't worry about it. It's a correction. It's a correction. Okay. But it's yeah. all going to come back in the fall. Don't get on the hopium pipe. It's not going to come back in the fall. Like It's going to come back. It's going to be better because this was the worst July in the history of the real estate business in Ontario. Like in 26 years, this was the right. lowest number of sales in the TREB system, which is the dominant system in Ontario, the dominant real estate board. 26 year low July. It's not just like way down from last year, it's way down from every year. Okay. Right. So now that's going to pick up a little, but the mortgage math of the rates we have today mean that less people are going to make purchases. It's also going to mean that some fewer people are going to qualify for refinances. And there may be some opportunities in B. There may be some opportunities in the remaining private mortgage space, and brokers should be aware of that, that that home trust and equitable bank, they had great quarters the last two, the last quarter was great. They were like, fantastic. They're doing a lot of business because if you can't fit into A and you need a mortgage, they become an opportunity. And so they're Mm -hmm. doing pretty good. But these high rates, add 2% stress test to a 509 rate, right? We got a 509 fixed. Here's the next thing. You know, after if we have a 75 basis point increase in prime in September, 
we're going to have 50, but maybe 75, then every single qualifying rate for variable will have a six in front of it. It'll be a starting with a six. Okay. Right. Now, if it starts with a six, it becomes a lot harder to qualify, right? Right, right. Totally true. So okay. the answer is, the answer is, don't get on the hopium pipe, prepare, yeah. work harder, but look at your expenses. If you've layered on expenses, multiple assistants, big, I don't know, whatever expenses you layered on. Okay. I noticed that you're really careful about expenses. You're building the world headquarters of bricks in your backyard. Okay. So you're, yeah. you're a guy who's really it's careful a shed, about man. expenses. Okay. Yeah. You're very careful yeah. about expenses. But for those mortgage brokers who've had a great two years, you need to think about your expenses now. I mean, we thought about our expenses in March, but you all right, need to right. think about it now. You need to be doing that. Ron, it's a pleasure, man. Good chatting with you. And thanks, guys, for coming to have a listen to us go back and forth. And if you want to chat offline, Ron, I'll just ping you and we can chat. So, sure. okay, guys, peace out. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Hey, thanks again for listening to that conversation with Ron. Hopefully you've got some value out of it. I know I always do when I chat with Ron and just gives you a great insight in terms of what's kind of happening when it comes to fintech as well as interest rates and real estate. And as he was saying already, stay off the hopium pipe. You're going to have to make sure that you buckle down and build a solid business. So if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, how do I get my business going better? Go check out 10loansamonth.com. There's an academy there that has some of the smartest, brightest minds in the mortgage space who will figure out what the next move is faster than anybody. And you can go learn from them, 10loansamonth.com. In this upcoming segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue about strategies in a rising rate environment. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, great to be here. So, hey, topic today, I think it's going to be timely, is what clients need to know in this you know, crazy rate environment and how that kind of relates into some of the things that you're seeing, how people are using Blue and using their CRM to like reach out to the database. So. Give me your kind of yeah. thoughts on what kind of things you're seeing that people are finding effective right now. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, right now it's hard to go anywhere where there isn't a headline, right? So, you know, social or even emails from banks or whatever it might be, it's all over the place. But I think, you know, there are clients that we've worked with, you know, blue mortgage people who are doing things in a good way. And we've kind of seen the whole gamut of different ways. And there's a couple really kind of, I think, really powerful things that you can do that even with all this noise out there can kind of really differentiate you and provide value to your clients. And there's kind of three big ones that I would say. And the very first one I think is, you know, something that I think is a way that you can really stand out even on, you know, social media and places like that is looking at a rate change, but answering the question for your clients or whoever you're interacting with of what does this mean for me? right? There's, you know, headlines everywhere. Hey, you know what? Rates are changing, payments going up, this, that, or the other thing. But if you can get just a little bit specific, you know, you're not going to know everything for, you know, every person on social media, but if you can, you know, provide some of these tips to be a little bit more personal, especially to your own database, you should be able to get very personal to be able to go out there and get very specific about what these changes mean for them. It can go a really, really long way. And again, providing that value and, and developing some of that trust. You know what I found to be very effective, Tom, when I've done these kind of campaigns before, and let's say there's a rate increase or decrease or something's going on that the public is talking about, they're paying attention to interest rates, is that you explain what it is. So you say, hey, here's what happened, right? Interest uh-huh. rates went up by, you know, Bank of Canada raised the overnight rate by 1%. You know, don't write books here, people. It's really important <laughs> yeah. to get to the point quickly. And then the second thing is to say, if I'm in a fixed rate mortgage, what does this mean for me? Question mark. Answer that question. And usually I like to bold the questions. So you know, it's like, hey, you break your email and people can format emails however they like. But I like, hey, you know, if Bank of Canada raise interest rates 1%, what does that mean? Da, 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 mm-hmm. Right? Explain mm-hmm. what it means. And then say, yeah. what does it mean for me in a fixed rate? What does it mean for me in a variable rate? And then what right. are my options? What should I do? And then when I create emails, what I typically do is I bold things because most people skim. They decide if they're going to read it, they open it, they skim the email, and I will bold the key points so that if they skim it, I think I learned this from Tim Ferriss. Then they'll go back sure. and read it. They'll be like, yeah. oh, the, the, oh, what? And they'll go back and read the email. But yeah. if you don't kind of make something stand out, then that, it just looks like a wall of text. And so I think that by identifying right now, it's a 1% increase in interest rates and inflation is all the talk of the town, but it'll be something else. The same tactic applies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you, absolutely. You talk about what happened yeah. in, in very simple terms that they can understand. I like using metaphors a lot, like if you have space to do it, right? then people can understand it. And then you just talk about what it means to me if I'm in a fixed rate, what if I'm in a variable rate. And then what do I need to do? Yeah. And then that, that's that's really, that's a very effective email uh, mm-hmm. strategy. Yeah, and I think, you know, something that 
you know, we talked about the social media and I think that sort of thing kind of, as you described, is good there. But the thing we've been encouraging people to is if you're looking at your own database, you know, you should know if they're in fixed or variable. Right. And so, you know, when you talk about being concise, and I think that's so important. That's something well, okay, that I, so I preach all the is, time. So when I've gotten bulk emails, so this is because I, I was not on blue. I am now <laughs> yeah. on blue. But so yeah, you're yeah. probably going, wait a second, Scott, there's a better way to do this. You're not even seeing yeah. it, dummy. Yeah, thank you. But essentially, you're saying that I could target my fixed rate clients with a certain message and my variable. Absolutely. Absolutely. So right. Message, so, yeah, that's even more efficient. Now I don't have to waste words on when I've done bulk email campaigns and I know that I have a mixed audience. I've got to put in that extra because the call to action for the variable rate client might be slightly different than the fixed rate client. And you can actually bake that in by using something like you guys, Blue, and being able to segment. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. The segmenting is huge. And some people say, oh, isn't that extra work? I get two templates, two campaigns. It's absolutely worth the extra work. Like we see the response rates of someone who does a general one versus a targeted one. People think that, hey, this person just didn't do a general thing. They targeted me specifically, even though you're going to all variable rate clients. And it's much more relevant advice. So we just see the response rates are, I would easily say more than double, right? So double the work, but you're getting more than double the payback. Right. So, and it's always better to get yeah. more direct, more specific message. For so sure. again, yeah. back to this point. So then if you segment like you guys do, and you send a, an email to a variable rate client, then you can break down what does that 1% increase mean in dollars you know, per month, right? You can, absolutely. On a fixed rate client, yeah. they don't really, they're like, I don't care. Like, that's not my concern. A fixed rate client yeah. is like, hey, when is your mortgage renewing and do we need to talk? Yeah, exactly. right. Like exactly. That, there's a different, yeah. there's a different, so like, and the more sophisticated you get at marketing, it is worth segmenting your database and sending specific messages to specific audiences for sure. Absolutely. And I love that one. Yeah. Fixed rates when we're renewing. So maybe, hey, for the fixed rate guys, I'm only going to look at the guys who are maturing in the next year. Right. And again, that segmenting kind of lets you do that. So yeah, getting specific, using the segments to do that. I think that's huge. And then, yeah, I think really you kind of talked about kind of the next thing that we see a lot of people kind of doing very effectively. Sorry, I kind is... of jumped ahead. I was excited <laughs> Tom. You already said to no, me no. that you got my thinking. So I'm like, hey, Tom's yeah. got three points, but I'm going to jump ahead of him. So keep going. Yeah. No, no, I think it's. You, uh, you came to me with these ideas. So this was your thoughts. It's top of mind, right, for everyone. But no, I think just kind of what we see then is kind of, okay, the so what, right? You kind of laid out, okay, what does this mean for me? And then what are my options, right? And I think for a lot of people, you know, for the options, kind of the second point I have here is that for people with existing deals, what they care a lot about is, okay, is it a good time to switch, right? I mean, that's kind of the talk and that's what we're seeing a lot of people doing. And I think that, you know, laying that out, laying out what those options actually are. So understanding for people who have existing deals with you, if you're in a variable rate mortgage switching to fixed, or maybe if you have a home equity line of credit, how does that change? And what are my options to maybe refinance and do something there? So, okay, I have now all of these rates and payments that are changing what can I do about it, right? Everyone wants to kind of be action oriented, feel like, you know, that they can have control over the situation. I think that's a big part of it for sure for a lot of clients. So providing those options, letting them understand and make that decision of what to do now. I think that's huge. Right. I think that's a really good yeah. point. People want to know what, because so with information without ability to act on it or know what to do next, exactly. it's kind of like, yeah. it doesn't help right. anybody. The mistake I see some mortgage brokers do is they'll take like, oh, here's an article in the Globe and Mail, send it to their people. It's like, unless you yeah. put some kind of like context around it, explain it, that is not a good strategy in general. No. It's just like, yeah, it's probably gonna work against you. So information by itself is not useful. Yeah, by presenting those actions, sure, it can do some good things for your business. But we find in a lot of cases, a lot of clients aren't doing anything anyways. Oh, it's just easier just to kind of stay as it is, sure. But just having that information, understanding what their actions, their options were, and then being able to decide that staying as they were is the best option that provides just you know that incremental value to the client you really didn't do much you just educated them but they feel that they've made that conscious decision they feel that you were part of that decision and it creates that value and that trust in that relationship right you know i'm trying to think of like how i would explain the i don't think i could explain the interest rate changes in an email like i could do it in a maybe in a 90 second video, but I don't know if I could do it just in text. So I'm going to say my thoughts on this because I, I can't say yeah. that and then not say what I was thinking. So basically <laughs> the way, here's what I think. If somebody were to ask me, Scott, what is like the person who doesn't understand the mortgage industry? Why is the bank account raising rates, right? Like, why are they even doing this? Like, it's an important question. Like they know inflation, but they don't really understand what the mechanism. So there's a monetary policy where they try to keep core inflation in a very narrow band. And it's been in that band for some time when it dipped below the band, they cut rates. If you look at the historic history of it over the last couple of years, 
when that dropped below that inflation rate, the bank at the same time, Bank of Canada is lowering rates. We are now above that band, and so they want to slow down the economy. So think of the the Bank of Canada has a, one of the monetary policies is this overnight rate. It's like a brake and a gas pedal. They want to speed up the economy. They cut rates. They want to slow down the economy, which is what they want to do right now. They put on the brake. But every time they do, there's always a cycle of like, oh crap, it's not a perfect thing. It's like watching a new yeah, yeah. driver in a standards. Like, in an F1. Yeah. Yeah. They're like doing this thing and it's never smooth because the economy is too big and diverse. And so it's never smooth. So you always get these cycles. And so you're going to see when we hit that terminal rate, they're going to start cutting again. And if we go into a recession, they're going to cut rates because that's what they have to do. There's already indication that 70% of economists think the U.S. will be in a recession in 2023. In 23. Yeah, that's right. So what what does that mean? It means that you're going to see pressure on them to cut rates because they're like, crap, we don't want to kill the economy, right? So anyway, what kind of last point do you have on this whole topic? Yeah, I think, I mean, the last one, and we've focused a lot on so far the conversation of people in existing mortgages and that sort of thing. But I think this one, especially for the first time home buyers, I think there's a special message for them because, well, you know, first of all, they want to know how this impacts them as they're looking for the houses. And for the first time in a long time, we're kind of approaching, you know, the 5.25, the qualifying rate, right? So now qualifications and their ability to do so are changing a little bit. So yes, you know, going to the existing mortgages, how my payments are changing is important, but also anyone who's looking for a home, you know, understanding what that new qualifying rate is, what that means for their pre-approval is going to be hugely important. So don't overlook that as kind of the final point is for those on the house hunt in the pre-approval, taking care of them, making sure, again, they understand what's going on and what their options are. Right. I like yeah. that too. Yeah. Cause you're thinking about, and if you have a prospect list that's segmented, and you can write all those folks with, yeah. hey, yeah. this is what it means. And thankfully, we got you, you know, depending on your situation, here's how that's going to impact you. So that's really good. So right. why don't you recap kind of your thoughts on how people are doing a good job of communicating this right. current rate change and in inflation via their databases? Yeah, absolutely. So first point is just getting as specific as you can, right? Personalized. So segmenting, using a database maybe to do that, doing that sort of thing, really just going to help so much in the return on these types of communications and, you know, what you can build that trust with your clients. So that's number one. Number two is looking at your existing clients and being able to give them options, right? Explain what is there for them, educating them, giving them that sort of thing, just so they feel that they're in control and they can make a good decision. And then final point is just for those in the house hunt, maybe the first time home buyers, what does it mean for me? My qualifying rate might change. How does that impact me, my pre-approval? What are my next steps? And again, what are my options? So hitting those three points, those are things that we see people doing very well. And if you do them, it can really kind of build trust through this, call it uncertain time for a lot of people. And make sure you segment. Don't do bulk emails like I did. <laughs> yeah. Tom's like, segment. Scott, slap my hand. <laughs> no bulk emails. Yeah. So if you guys are listening to this and you want to talk to Tom and his team about getting set up to be able to segment as well as just manage your entire mortgage process from end to end, check out bluemortgage.ca. That's blue with no E. Tom, thanks yeah. for chatting with me, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again for listening to my conversation with Ron and Tom. And if you want to get some more ideas in terms of how to improve your business, go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can set up a free power search account, which allows you to keyword search all the past episodes. And you can find everywhere that we talk about inflation, recession, you know, rising interest rates. It'll literally jump you to those moments in all those episodes. And you can do amazing research with it. Go check it out. It's totally free. Thanks again for listening to this episode. And I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.